Hello guys and uh, thanks for joining us today. Today we're talking with Reza Sarkamani about education in VFX and movie graphics. We're discussing how do you get hired by a big studio and talking about passion. Greetings and welcome to the 80 Level Roundtable podcast. In each episode, host Kirill Tokarev invites video game industry leaders to talk about the world of game development. No topic is off limits as long as it relates to video game development. New episodes are in the works, so remember to follow us or subscribe and share with someone you know will also enjoy the podcast. Maybe we can start with like a little kind of look. Uh, I'm going to tell you like my opinion, then maybe you can bounce off it. So I talk with a lot of uh, video game developers everywhere, like and especially I hear this a lot in the United States. And the thought is basically that um, kind of the education, I'm not saying like 100%, but often, let's say often, right? Education for creatives and especially people who want to work in games or film or, you know, motion graphics, it doesn't work um, 100% all the time. And uh, what I hear from people uh, who are kind of learning or studying uh, is that it's it, it, it doesn't basically costs a lot and it's very hard to kind of get that money back and pay off the student loan and all that stuff and what I see is that more and more people are kind of gradually embracing everything online you know, going online courses, going to YouTube a lot, and so on. And my question is, um, why do you feel this is happening? And what are, like, the main reasons for people to kind of shift from, like, more traditional spaces where they usually um, learn about 3D into kind of more kind of guerrilla style uh, of education? Um, that's actually a very good question. Uh, I, I had an interview with, with Autodesk last month and almost the same question came up. It's a question I actually get a lot from my own students in the class. Um, I mean, self-education is preferred by many, of course, because you create your own timeline. You don't need to worry about deadlines and milestones. Um, and, and you just focus on what you want to learn and remove the rest. However, uh, self-educating can be a double-edged sword as well, in my opinion. I mean, if you look at tertiary education, it is important to learners' growth, uh, but more importantly to their transferable skills. We're talking problem-solving. We're talking critical thinking, how to resolve conflicts within a team. Uh, to bring an example would be self-awareness. I mean, it's not something that you gain by self-educating. It has a regulatory role here um, to help us view ourselves, to help us see our actions, our approach to deadlines and job objectivity. Um and it's not something that you gain by watching YouTube. I mean, flexibility is another example. You know, uh, if as a learner, you're unable to adapt to various demands imposed by the environment, you won't be able to make your client happy, uh, it, regardless of how much you know, um, if you cannot embrace the change which again circles back to that transferable skills um it kind of defeats the purpose uh, and uh, that's why when i have this conversation with my students i try to be very clear that it's not just about what button to press it's about learning how to be part of a team, how to resolve conflicts. I always say that um, our time 
in class is limited. We cannot talk about everything in a classroom as educators, not to mention that many educators are specialized in certain things. Uh, so I say look at these YouTube videos as instructional videos, as pre and post activities, just to push the envelope. If you would like to know more about a certain topic, that would be the time to kind of dive right in and do a bit of a self-education. It becomes quite important uh, at some point when learners want to reach, reach a level where they watch a workflow and they connect the dots. That's where I would say instructional videos on YouTube is great because, or any other platform is great because you already have that foundation. You look at the workflow and you're like, all right, I know the basics. I know the ground rules. I'm just going to connect the dot. And eventually you create your own method and that's how you grow as an artist. So in many schools, in S at, I'm a department coordinator at SAE. Um, my focus is mostly on soft skills when we get to our studios, when students collaborate with each other. And I always say, leave the technical difficulties as the, you know, the last concern. We, we deal with it later. That's why you have me. That's why you have the internet. That's why you have each other. But the transferable skills is something that we really focus on because at the end of the day, when you start your journey in a studio, clients want to get job, get the job done fast and they want this to be done on time. Um, again, transferable skills, very, very important factor in, in education. I think that's the whole concept behind studying as an animator because it, it really doesn't matter if the end goal is to be a lawyer, to work in... Uh, a medical field or want to be an animator, there are certain skills that you need to gain behind the scene, soft skills to make you a better person, to understand the importance of time, so on and so forth. So um, I, I, I usually, that's how I answer these questions in a classroom. And it's a very popular question, why we should study. I, I think I heard one businessman and he said that there's this concept right now that uh, kind of hard skills are kind of you know like they're taking kind of like a back seat right and uh, you need to communicate more you know you know all this like a hbr kind of stuff like they need to communicate with the team be clear and in your conversations communications and so on <clears throat> and uh, when I have um, projects that kind of push me in the direction where I need to communicate with people that are not on my you know not in my um, like a brain hemisphere like in there like I'm kind of more in the like creative side and I need to talk with you know coders and sometimes it's <clears throat> incredibly challenging because they think in a quite different manner and whenever I say to them they, they feel like this is you know gibberish that doesn't make sense to them you know and uh, I like what you said that especially like in, in games where you have like tech people and you have artists making them work together it's 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 quite a challenge and <clears throat> maybe just going uh, in this journey alone uh, and trying to do everything on your own and trying to get that those hard skills on your own you might get somewhere but at the same time it won't get you this experience you know working in a team communicating having conflicts <coughs> although we try to think that we don't really have them in the workplace or try not to have them. They still happen, right? And especially, like you said, when you're working with clients and so on. But uh, again, coming back to the businessman who mentioned the, the kind of the hard skills taking the back seat, he also said another thing. He said that uh, if you feel that way, try to go to a surgeon 
who's going to help you and it's going to be a great client oriented <laughs> surgeon but he's not going to be the best in his hard skills right you start having like a different point of view so i guess to kind of jump off from that question is can you tell us how does youtube help you you know get those hard skills that can help you kind of grow as an artist as an animator and try to be a better specialist we'll be back after a quick break ever thought modern video games should be more interesting at the gaming blender we take randomized genres mechanics and make a new game every episode i've added permadeath we have a survival game of a hardcore simulation which could be house flipper and with the permadeath of xcom then that will have to be an action adventure yes Oh dear. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't quite work. And you have, you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative. A construction off. The <laughs> way the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely. Entirely. Check out the Gaming Blender on all your favorite podcast platforms now. Um I mean, to me, YouTube was a, a just a platform, you know, that learners can can dive into. Obviously, um, I worked in this industry for 15, 8, 17 years, exactly. And uh, as an educator, um, I have a message. I almost retired uh, around 2007, started my study in uh, at Sydney University and then um, found my passion in teaching around 2000, 2009, 2010. So it's been 12 years that I've been teaching, uh, dealing with or working with uh, very, very talented students. So uh, as an educator, I have a message uh, and I have something to share and YouTube kind of gave me that platform to connect with my audience and to share my findings. Um, what I also would like to, the way that I would like to look at YouTube is uh, a community hub where everyone shares information. I've had scenarios where my subscribers at times say, well, well, Reza, this method is great, but have you tried the other method? And I was thinking to myself, wow, that is fantastic. That's exactly what I want to see. I mean, they care enough to spend the time and to connect with, with the audience and to share. It's not just a one-way street. You know, I do teach and I also learn, which is fantastic. So that community hub is really my end goal and again circles back to how i run a classroom i don't want to be the guy who sits in front of everyone else and talks for two hours i would like to bounce ideas off of students and also learn at the same time because we're all sharing the environment we're sharing knowledge and there are times where my students are proactive enough to dive deep into a particular topic and come back with some findings and it's just exhilarating to have a look at that i'm like wow that is fantastic and you just imagine working with with different artists over the years um obviously i was thinking to myself well that's the time to start with this youtube journey which kind of the how it was born was a funny story but um yeah that that's a that's a platform for me to communicate with my audience and to share really uh my findings with with people all around the globe which has been a bless i really like this idea about the community because when we work with our kind of readers on 80 level we feel the same way we don't feel like we're you know um like my philosophy is that uh i'm probably the last person they should listen to right i'm not i'm not there to kind of teach them how to do 3d i'm not a professional 3d artist but um 
our goal is to find people who can share something interesting in this uh, field, right? And um, building that community for us on like during the first kind of years of our journey uh, as a media company, that was the most important thing because we thought that if we build, if we have that kind of core people who like us and understand what we're doing, then it would be easier for us to build a bigger, a bigger audience. And uh, so how did you kind of approach this? Tell us the story, how this YouTube channel started and how did you start kind of amass the following and what were like the main, you know, stages, I guess, in your growth? <laughs> That's a funny story, how the channel was born. Um, the, the short answer is by accident. <laughs> Um, the slightly longer version is <laughs> I uh, did a Zoom masterclass for SAE Amman campus. I think it was about fluid simulation back in April 2020. It was COVID and we're all staying at home. And I had this offer from SAE Amman that, you know, students would love to kind of have three, four hours on that particular time frame. And that time frame, because I live in Sydney, Australia, it was like 2 a.m. in the morning. And I was thinking to myself, all right, challenge accepted. Let's do it. So I, I did the master class and student asked me if I could upload the content uh, to a website or platform. So they could, they could go back and review the steps and watch the whole thing. So I did. I uploaded everything on my YouTube channel, which didn't have a name back then and probably had one video and like eight subscribers. They're all my students. Um, and yeah, I uploaded my video. I went to bed right after. And the next day, um, I had messages, um, you know, and I started reading the first you and even that was enough to make my day and that motivated me to to start and i was thinking to myself well we've got something to share and this platform uh looks fantastic you know but that made this inner circle of my subscribers bigger and bigger now what i cover usually what i focus on i try to have a focus obviously but what i focus is on computer graphics. I talk about methods. I talk about walkthroughs. I tend to target well-established software packages that I've worked in the past, uh, such as like Maya, Painter, Unreal, Marvelous, Nuke, so on and so forth. Uh, but because I get subscribers who also participate they actually contribute to the richness of the content. All in a sudden, one topic evolves to a completely brand new topic where student um, subscribers, students, learners, they actually talk about different methods and one walkthrough or one technique, particular technique comes out of it. And that makes me curious that, oh, that, that's, that to me seems like the next logical step so why don't we look into that next time around and it's just incredible to see how this journey this platform is running by itself it's kind of shaping and giving me the clues for where to next and it's all because of um, all the artists who are contributing to this online platform. And that shows how much um, learning has changed. The, the traditional learning, the way that we used to know it has changed because it's all about bouncing ideas off each other. It's all about communicating. Again, transferable skills playing a massive role in here where um, – we just need to put our ego aside and come to a realization that we all have our own experiences and we cannot move forward. The only way to do it is by sharing it 
And once you share your knowledge and receive something in return, you realize that, oh, my goodness, okay, that's that's the part that I missed or that would be the one that I'm going to look into next time around. And that's how it's been uh, since uh, its its launch in 2020. I mean, the channel is fairly young, but I'm having lots of fun with it. I mean, I'm a, I'm a full-time employer at, at, at SAE, but... Um, any time I get, every single minute of my personal time, usually at the end, uh, goes to that YouTube channel because it really keeps me refreshing. It, it gives me the opportunity to have that mingling time, to, to have that communication with my audience and to learn a thing or two. So it's been absolutely fantastic. And I think it's also... Uh... First of all, I think you're very lucky in terms of like when you explain this, uh, when you tell the story, when you publish something online and then the next day there are comments and reactions and uh, that's kind of like this aha moment that you want to have when you're starting anything, right? Because often, more often than not, you, you do a lot of work, you upload something and then there's nothing. There's like, that's the worst, yeah. the worst possible thing. and. Uh, I also want to say that it's also very rewarding when you're uh, talking with the community and you're having conversations and this exchange. It's a kind of it's a great feeling to share this knowledge with the audience and get something in return and kind of exchange this, uh, you know, techniques and all that stuff. But mm, talking about techniques and you mentioned Maya and Nuke and all the other tools out there. Um, so I'm, I'm going to tell you my journey through 3D tutorials, how, how it sometimes happens. So, uh, because I work at 80 level, I need to understand, you know, how this package works, that package works. So usually I end up on YouTube looking for people to explain how this or that works. And, uh, and sometimes I have these, uh, situations where you see a YouTuber or an instructor and he just tells you, you know, A, B, C, D, E, the steps. And you go through steps and, you know, you know, anything. It could be like Photoshop or anything. You go from one point to another and in the end you get something and you're super proud of yourself. But in reality, you have no idea how you got there. It's like... You're just, they're taking you by the hand and you walk, they walk you around the, um, some, some tool and then you're kind of left alone and you realize that you don't know anything. You don't really know how to operate this, this thing. And for one thing, it's those tools, they are super complicated, right? The, the stuff that you have right now, I know like Unreal Engine or Houdini or Nuke, or even Maya, which is like has thousands of plugins, a lot of stuff there. Um, the question is, what's your kind of method? How do you um, kind of teach the tool as if it were, you know, uh, paints and brushes, and that's it? Like, what's your philosophy there? I'm really glad you mentioned that because, uh, you know, uh, this can be one of the misconceptions about 3D. Um, the, one of the biggest ones uh, is the importance of project planning and the amount of research that needs to be done before you start with the tools. So diving into practical step-by-step -step tutorial without uh, knowing the ground rules can be very misleading and it does happen where students look at the the cover of the video and they're like wow waterfall I would like to do waterfall um, but what they may miss is the theory and the basics that the, the, the thought process that goes behind that tutorial before you start pressing that button. So that's why when I was talking about transferable skills, I actually mentioned critical thinking. 
because really you need to think about do I know enough to sit behind the wheels right now because you know um, the idea of driving figure of speech and the driving experience itself can be a very different thing um, it, it is surprising when you know once thing they know the technique simply because they memorize the steps as opposed to understanding it that's that can be very very um, misleading that that's why in many of my tutorials I, I start off by showing reference images or how body deforms if it's a if it's a rigging tutorial just to reiterate that part of the workflow that even though we know what we're about to do you still need to do your study first if it's a if it's an effect that you're trying to create just go out and see if you can film it you know uh, if you're a sculptor focus on the uh, the anatomy first if you're a lighter study color theory first possibly photography you know if you're an animator be observant and gather reference for every single move and those steps just help you to be prepared for any surprises that may occur along the way in my videos at least one or two chapters at the beginning uh, i don't open the application i just talk about references um, if we're trying to create dust, what would be a typical dust in that scenario look like? How much density are we talking about? That allows the viewer, the learner to improvise later on if we change the question. Because the problem that you run into when you memorize the steps is there is like a 2% a chance that outside that environment you get the exact same scenario you always get something slightly different now if you understand the ground rules if you understand the basics if you if there is no memorizing going on and it's just now i know why i clicked this button why i ran that tool then that allows the learner to just get creative and enjoy the process as opposed to ah oh, the tutorial didn't work or I'm not really too sure where to next. So project planning and doing doing your study before you dive into the tool, before you get your hands dirty is very, very important. I'm really glad you, you brought it up. Uh, I really like that answer as well because I talked um with the CEO of Beyond Effects and Beyond Effects, it's like uh, they're doing a lot of VFX for games and film, and uh, they're specialized in real-time VFX. And uh, he told me a funny story when, kind of, a client, uh, you know, anyone they send them a brief, and the brief, usually the client doesn't really know. I mean, sometimes they do, but usually they don't really know what they want. And they, they just send the, the brief and it says, well, I need, I need a, like a, a blue electric explosion. Like, and I, I need it by Monday or something, right? And, and it's like, he's like, <laughs> he's saying, sure, I'll do it. But then he kind of goes to and starts, you know, gathering references and figuring out what, what the hell does that mean? Like, what kind of explosion and where it's going to be used and all that. And... Uh, it's great that the stuff that you're saying, it basically prepares you for like the real world because never in the history of time have they gave you a task which was 100% what you saw in a tutorial. Because obviously there's gonna be something different. Even if you're specializing in some very niche thing, like you're only doing like hard surface modeling or you're only doing like uh, animal animations somewhere there's still going to be so many variables that it's just going to be impossible to figure this out if you don't really go from like the basics like you said the references the anatomy like the color theory all those kind of building blocks that help you become kind of a better artist in general and having worked with 
students, having worked with a lot of uh, clients in general, how do companies today, how do they look kind of for great artists to work with? Like what are the things that they first look, the, the look at the first and the second and the third stage and so on? Uh, is it soft skills? Is it hard skills? Is it particular uh, tools that you need to know in order to land a job? Or it's mostly, you know, they are looking for some kind of star that can do everything. Yeah, that's, that's a very popular question that I always get from my students. What's the magic recipe? What's the formula for us to land the job? Um, so as a junior, you know, as a learner, a junior artist, I always say, work on your portfolio, know enough about yourself to put together relevant content in your portfolio. So if you want to be an animator, don't showcase uh, a radio model that you did two years ago because your audience may not like it. Always think about your audience. Uh, chances are in the panel, there will be an animator, an animation supervisor, someone in the department if you're interested in animation maybe no one in from modeling department. So know your audience and try to sort of tailor your portfolio based on the role. Um, and I always say that don't compare yourself to seniors. That's the most intimidating thing that juniors can go through. And they, it's traumatizing to look at the, you know, professional reels coming out of a studio First of all, it's not a solo job, it's a teamwork, you know, there are stages into that piece, which can be very intimidating, but also those guys have 20 years, 30 years of experience under their belt if you want to start. And if you go for an interview, whoever is interviewing you does understand that. So the most important thing is to have relevant content uh, in your demo reel and be confident. Uh, know enough about yourself to to know that you deserve this shot, and that's why seeing that confidence is equally as important. Again, soft skills to be able to sell your product, to be able to showcase your capabilities, to have the confidence to say, "Well, I do know this, but I don't know this, but I'm willing to learn." And I always say to my students, be brave. You have absolutely nothing to lose. And if they see the confidence, that your confidence will impress them. Of course, you need to have the right content in your portfolio, but it's always a good balance between the technical side of things and the soft skill. If you're too you know, egocentric or maybe come off as, you know, I really want this, you got to give me the job, they kind of see through that and you may lose your, the opportunity. So be humble at the same time, be, be confident. I remember I had a student, I think it was back in 2012, and uh, a recruitment team from Rising Sun in Adelaide actually came over to the university to look at their students demo reel and to give them feedback and they uh, looked at one portfolio in particular she was one of my best students in the class and they were very impressed and they started asking questions it all of a sudden that feedback session turned to an interview session <laughs> but i would just love the way she handled the situation um with the smile patient enough to answer all the questions and the team was like oh we, we want her she's fantastic we're looking for a modeler and she seems like the the right candidate uh, and i i remember that um, she started as a junior modeler and then became senior modeler and 
Um, later on, she became a department supervisor. And at some point, she actually offered me a job to work with her. <laughs> it was really, really rewarding. I mean, after all these years, she still thought of me as her to-go person. And that's what happens in, in teaching in general. You get to be surrounded with love, which is fantastic. But uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is that initial spark, that confidence, that soft skill improvement can really take you a long way. You know what? I can't agree more with this because um, there are two examples that uh, kind of jump to mind when you talk about this. I, uh, I went to GDC like I think a couple of years ago and uh, I used to go to a booth of this uh, school where because they shared all the cards of all the students and the students always had very good work. And I was lucky enough to meet kind of some of the students there and they were like super happy to meet me because they know A-level and we talked and there was this girl that was like super open, like very nice to talk to, you know, like she was um, kind of like easy to be around. And she had great work, she was like an environment artist and uh, she, she I think now she works in, at Naughty Dog and she's been working for a couple of years and she's kind of growing there and she contributed to like all the Last, Last of Us franchise, all the like this, these huge games. And uh, the growth is tremendous and I thought at that time that they're not just making this choice based on whatever she has on ArtStation, yeah. right? She they make this choice because they think that this person is going to be around other people and nobody wants to be around a person that's like too stuck up or you know too much of a like a rock star or something right they, they want to have a person that they can exchange opinions with and so on and the the next example is uh, the same guy who worked he's actually from Donetsk and he moved to I think Belarusia and he worked Belarus and he worked at the Wargaming and he was doing these amazing environments for World of Tanks and you, again like you look at those environments and they you think well they only hired him because he's just like a great environment artist but when you talk to him you understand that he's just like a very nice chill person to be around with he's like you know again super open talkative he's like a problem solver and all of the other things you don't really see them when you look at the portfolio right and exactly. it's super important to have all that i i know that like for, for maybe for a lot of juniors it's not really a lot of help like it's like what's your advice is that be a good person <laughs> but the the idea is that you need to have something extra there right yes in order to land a job in a place like, you know, like uh, DICE or some other big studio, like Sony Santa Monica, because like the line there is crazy. Uh, if you go to like any big studio, any big place, like even you went to work at NVIDIA or Intel, where they, they create demos like in 3D, and there is like thousands of people applying, literally. They're like, they go through <clears throat> hundreds of thousands of resumes and yes. it's very challenging to you know stand out and like your portfolio probably is going to be just like the first step right and then the starting point uh yeah. you, you kind of build on top of 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 that but w w while we're talking about uh kind of recruiting and um kind of work in this industry you mentioned that you worked for a long time and uh, what do you think were the major changes kind of that happened in the industry at that time? And how do you feel they're going to influence the, the future changes? And I, I'll explain what I mean, like tools, the availability of tools, the availability of uh, learning aids, uh, the studio's kind of openness. All those elements, like how do you feel they influence overall kind of this field? 
Um, I mean, these days there are various systematic pathways for 3D enthusiasts uh, to help them with their education, to train them in 3D domain or that the area that they're interested in. I, I remember back in my time, I mean, I'm talking early 90s, uh, we had close to no resources. We didn't know really where to go and how to start. Uh, we had software manuals <laughs> just to go through software manuals this thick, just to go through to make sense of the tool, to understand the tool. But flash forward to right now, um, I mean, all you need to do is to narrow down your interest at what you want to do and sign up for a course. Of course, that uh, we don't assume that's all there is to it. Uh, but at least you're off to a good starting point, right? So that's the biggest difference, in my opinion, from we're talking early 90s. Uh, we, and here's another thing. Uh, in early 90s, studios were still developing pipelines. Really, there were no cemented, tested pipelines. For example, ILM had to go through a brand new pipeline to understand all right how we incorporate or blend a, a live action plate with cg elements it was new back then but so many techniques and tricks have been tried since then and because of that we are very we we're in a really great position where it's perfect timing actually to learn and and to be a star because everything has been tried before there we've got tested well-established pipelines in studios of course we expect development we expect change in the future but um the the level of customizability and the the amount of tests that have been done um behind the scene makes learner jobs a lot easier to adapt to be able to narrow down their focus so they can so they can kind of take things to the next level um, about where the current 3d world is going that's a, a million dollar question <laughs> um, you know we we're talking metaverse but we always need to kind of remember that metaverse is just a term to describe the next significant paradigm in, in our digital technologies and networks. So it's just a digital space, how we are going to use it. Ah, who knows? Major technology companies like Apple, Google, the meta platforms like Facebook, even Microsoft are developing their own interpretation of the tech these days. So anything can really happen in the future. I'm actually very excited for it. I personally would like to see um, work that makes AI more accessible. That would be fun. You know, creating powerful deep learning models just to accomplish things with complexity, things that no human can achieve. I mean, I was reading an article the other day uh, and some research groups have started um, with deepfake in real time. And the end goal is to use it in simulation and in games, computer games. So like that level of optimization while you maintain photorealism is just mind boggling. <laughs> I, I, you know, we look at even today's technology with UE5 already started with Nanite and Lumen and MetaHuman, virtual production on the rise. So much in, is going on. But that's the thing with, with today's technology um, and how rapidly it develops. Um, we may have this conversation five years from now. And you may say, what are you talking about, Reza? I just bought a set for friend's birthday that does all of it. <laughs> It makes everything obsolete. <laughs> yeah, I totally, I totally agree with you. It's like, 
you you definitely you don't notice those jumps as you kind of live through but if you go back a little bit like a couple of years and you look at the stuff that was created back then you you'll be amazed because uh, <clears throat> I had this experience I have a three-year-old daughter and uh, I'm kind of trying to give her a little bit more of content with some kind of story and uh, not just like this uh, you know regular baby movies and I, I watched Zootopia with her from Pixar and I remember at that time Zootopia was kind of like the pinnacle of what you can achieve technically on a computer right and I'm, and I'm watching this uh, watching this film and it's like I'm, I'm professionally deformed like I, I can't enjoy films like I used to so I'm like watching 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 this film and I and I start start noticing like the lighting is off or the fur doesn't look that good or like the liquids they are they don't really feel real or or like the animation is off here and there and then I stop and I think to myself oh my god man, what are you talking about this is like a great looking film right but I think the bar just gets so high and especially in you know this in, in animation right because you look at stuff that you see in the cinema right now like the I think this um, Spider-Man Multiverse the an animation film yes. that, that was that was totally crazy when I was watching that in, in, in the cinema I thought that this kind of content would never make it to the big screen right and the stuff that's kind of Netflix is doing and all that other like the bar is incredible and I guess to kind of like my, my final question is this is um, how do you keep up as a professional like how do you make sure that you're not um, you know you're not using techniques that are old maybe like there's something better that creates better visual fidelity how do you make sure that you're kind of on top of things um, I would say the secret sauce is passion, because if you look at it as a job, it gets tiring really fast and it wears you out. It's impossible to keep up uh, if you look at it as a job. I'm one of the blessed ones who uh, I look at this as a hobby. I try to chase this just to satisfy my inner itch. You know, I, I work with thousands of students over the years and we talk about driving factors, but without oversimplifying, there are kind of two, three main driving factors amongst learners. Um, the first one is actually curiosity, where you're, um, you're in hot pursuit of accomplishing their passion developing your skills, you want to gain knowledge, you want to know more because you have that inner itch. <laughs> um, that's an, kind of an intrinsic motivation, if I may. Uh, I also work with you know, many, many students, past and present, talented students actually, who want to push themselves through the limits uh, to gain a top of reward, praise and grades, I call them, which is fair enough. But I think uh, the, the best possibility, best of both worlds, would be the, the, third, the third possibility where you care about your time and you care about your financial compensation, but at the same time, you're passionate about what you do, which is a golden mix. So you don't need to worry about, um, oh, how will I earn money? Or you know, you, you don't have any financial problems. Your time management is there. At the same time, you have the passion to move forward. And that gives you the patience to hang in there and not only to move forward, but also to contribute to today's technology, to be able to think about possibilities outside of this norm and create something original. I always say to my students that, all right, look at references, look at different types of lighting, uh, look at different types of modeling, 
but also think about how you can put your own spin to it, how you can make it look more interesting. Now, with someone with no passion, he or she may say, oh, leave me, leave me out of this. But someone with passion and with motivation, if you really love what you do, uh, then you get curious. You get that inner itch and you'd be like, all right, I'm just going to give it a try. I'm not sure if I'm going to be successful, but I'm going to give that a try. And that, that is a good starting point. That's what I'm looking for in my, in my students. And I always say, stay curious, always stay curious. You know, if you think, all right, you need to spend some time, personal time outside the classroom, do it. If you think you need to sort out the financial side of things on the side, do it. But don't lose that curiosity because with that, a lot of things will go away. It's not a, an easy industry to be in. And in order to survive, you really need to have um, that, that curiosity as a motivation and as a drive to, to push you forward and for you to go to places. Reza, I don't have anything to add except that we're running out of time. And I want to thank you for uh, your time and uh, sharing our knowledge uh, with this recording. And uh, for everyone interested, we're going to leave links in the description. So you can check out the YouTube channel, subscribe, and uh, enjoy the videos. Thank you so much for your time once again. And uh, hope we'll talk sometime in the future. Thank you. I would like to thank you and your audience for the great opportunity and hope to talk to you guys again. Thanks for enjoying another episode of the 80 Level Roundtable podcast. Check out upcoming episodes on the 80 Level website at 80.lv. Join our career site at 80.lv slash RFP and share our podcast with friends and on your social networks.